scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. The passage will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. And if you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of and the honoring of God's word. First Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I, and this is Paul talking here, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray for this building campaign that we were just talking about, our City Roots project. Lord, would you, would you bless the, the raising of the funds and the prayerfulness and just the, the joyfulness. May this be a joyful campaign, Lord, contributing to something that lasts for generations and is a blessing spiritually, physically, and emotionally to downtown. May people grow in Christ and encounter Christ because of our presence here. May people who are on the margins be better cared for because of our presence here. We are desperate for that, but we need your help. We can't just do that with a building, which at the end of the day is nothing more than a tool. Lord, bless the reading of and the understanding of this text. Illuminate it by the power of your spirit so that we might be changed. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, growing up, I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons, like really not allowed. I mean, if you had asked me in the 90s to define what a Christian is, I probably would have told you someone who isn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. <laughs> However, I did have friends, some of which were church-going folk, who did allow their kids to watch The Simpsons, and my brothers and I handled that dissonance with so much patience and grace. The reason for the ban, as I eventually learned, had a lot to do with how the parents, apparently, I didn't watch it, couldn't tell you, but with how the parents were portrayed in the show, especially the dad, Homer. There were concerns, at least in the 90s, I don't know how people feel about this now, that watching the show would skew our understanding of how parents ought to relate to their kids and how kids ought to relate to their parents. I'm not sure how many of you have watched The Simpsons. I'm not interested in turning that into a spiritual diagnostic. Surely Reddit has many opportunities for you if you want to keep this conversation going. But I am sure that many of us have a very skewed view of parenthood, Simpson watchers or not. And in this case, I'm talking about spiritual parenthood. Not a lot of us statistically have had consistent, influential spiritual mentors leaving us with nothing more than an assortment 
of impressions about the whole enterprise shaped by stories we've heard from other people or perhaps the TV shows we've watched. And some of us have had very negative, even abusive relationships with spiritual leaders or we've seen news reports about those who have. So we don't know what to make about spiritual parenthood, what it's supposed to be, why it seems to be so rare, and why it can go so wrong. All of which makes our passage this morning really timely and arresting as it gives us a window into true spiritual fatherhood and by extension, as I would argue, spiritual motherhood. Some of us will be challenged, some of us will be very encouraged, and some of us, so this topic might be uncomfortable and painful for many reasons, may well encounter fresh reasons for hopefulness and healing. At least that's my prayer. And you'll notice along the way this morning that we're talking about spiritual parenthood first in a very kind of broad sense, basically in terms of spiritual mentorship, and then we're going to talk about it more specifically in light of Paul's authoritative role in the Corinthian church. Two reflections this morning accordingly. Number one, the qualifications for spiritual parenthood. And then we're going to talk about the power of spiritual parenthood, the qualifications and then the power. Let's start with that first reflection, the qualifications for spiritual parenthood. As we've seen the past several weeks, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, a church he helped start and desperately loved. I mean desperately. Unfortunately, in Paul's absence, the church encountered a host of problems, chief among them factionalism and pride. Tribes of people within the church rallied around particular leaders, identifying with such leaders and becoming rather big-headed, instead of identifying primarily with Christ, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unbelievable, right? Can you imagine something like that happening? Paul has already addressed these issues at significant length in the first three and a half chapters of this letter. Thus, his clarification in verse 14 that I do not write these things, including some difficult things, to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, to warn you, as my beloved children. And then see the accompanying observation in verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Church, I am convinced that one of the pressing social issues of our day is some real fog, like San Francisco in August levels of fog. They call it fogist over there, which is kind of fun. Some real fog concerning the difference between shaming someone and admonishing or warning someone. Here's a difference, though, and it's highly important that we retain this distinction if we're going to care well for one another in the household of God. Shaming someone is primarily punitive. It's a bit of a knife jab to make them feel bad. Admonishing someone is formative. It's an action taken in love to protect someone from driving off the road or to help them course correct when they do. To shame someone is basically to condemn them. It brings nothing but death. To admonish someone, especially when they've gone off the road, 
is to hopefully restore them, to revive them spiritually and otherwise. Think of a, a father teaching his son to drive. Shaming would be sitting in the passenger seat yelling like, what are you doing? You know, you, you call this driving? That's shaming. Admonishing would be something like, if you don't turn the music down and pay better attention to your surroundings, you're going to get us in an accident. Let me show you, please, a better way. And here's why maintaining this distinction is so important. Shaming others has no place in the household of God. Paul does make an interesting comment in chapter 6, verse 5, about something he says being to the Corinthians shame. And we'll unpack that when we get there. It doesn't contradict the argument we've been making, though, as we'll see. And yet, admonishing other people is mission critical because the people of God have this relentless habit of putting themselves in danger. In fact, it's so mission critical that Paul considers willingness to admonish to be an essential qualification for spiritual parenthood. Guides, of which the Corinthians had many, verse 15, possibly including Apollos and Cephas, mentioned earlier in this letter, do all sorts of spiritually beneficial things. They teach, they provide a certain amount of spiritual direction. Amen. But spiritual fathers, grounded in an entirely different experience of love for their spiritual sons and daughters, are willing to warn and to challenge their family members. They're willing to step into the messy things, often at very great cost to themselves. Think of the time cost. Think of the potential relationship costs, etc. Costs that are particularly high these days, given that affirmation is so hot right now. Warnings given in love, not so much. Spiritual fathers and mothers also encourage, they also celebrate, they also give thanks. Recall chapter 1, verse 4, when Paul says, Corinthians, I give Thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. They do all of that and they admonish. This artistic balancing act that requires prayerful Holy Spirit discernment. And by the way, the people we listen to on the internet aren't able to parent us like this. They might be decent guides, but they can't know us well enough and therefore don't love us well enough to be our spiritual fathers and mothers. Two weeks ago, I mentioned that these are really strange times in which, at least by volume, many of us are shepherded more by the podcast we listen to than by the spiritual leaders in our own local churches. I am warning you, I suppose, as a spiritual father, although you can be the judge of that, I am warning you that this is a potential breeding ground for having many guides, but few, if any, fathers or mothers who will really get into your business and challenge you. Spiritual fathers also invite their spiritual children to imitate them, the language that Paul uses in verse 16, which implies a second qualification for spiritual fathers that Paul makes more explicit in chapter 11, verse 1, when he tells the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So first qualification, willingness to admonish, to get into the messy stuff and say difficult things in love. 
Second qualification, imitating, in other words, following and obeying Christ. Imitation that, as, as Paul just laid out in the first half of chapter 4, will very often involve suffering. The only way you can invite anyone to imitate you is if you are imitating Christ and imitating Christ with white-hot affection for Christ, thereby being changed by Christ. Otherwise, I mean, think about this. How dare we invite other people to follow us? For in doing so, they wouldn't be imitating Christ. They'd be imitating a really phony replacement fashioned entirely in our own image. If you are inviting people to imitate your life or to follow you, but you're not really denying yourself and taking up your cross to follow Jesus, congratulations, you are leading a cult. And you are creating so much spiritual damage along the way. Damage that I am sure some of you have experienced firsthand, and I am so sorry you've had to endure that. It's devastating. It has caused chaos in the body of Christ. People inviting other people to follow them, even though they themselves are not following Christ. And I hate to belabor this point. You can kind of tell this is a sensitive area for me. But we really can't know how much, we can't know very much about the spiritual vitality of people on the internet because they're not in our own communities and we can't watch their lives and people we know can't vouch for them personally. They could be saying one thing and doing another thing entirely and we would never know it. The good news is that we can have a much better idea concerning the people in our own spiritual communities because we can actually watch their lives and we can know them and we can hold them accountable and so forth. These spiritual fathers and mothers might not be famous. They might, you know, just be faithful, ordinary followers of Jesus Christ. But the last time I checked, fame had nothing to do with effective spiritual parenthood and it might honestly be a hindrance in many cases. Speaking of the internet, Paul had a bit of a proximity problem himself. He was away from the Corinthians. He was writing to them from Ephesus, so he sent them his mentee, Timothy, his, you can see this in verse 17, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And despite the posture of some arrogant people, see verses 18 and 19, Paul planned to return to Corinth in person if the Lord allowed him a visit Paul indeed made a year or so later. And then after that, he wrote a couple more letters. And then after that, he made yet another visit. Spiritual fatherhood entails very personal, sacrificial investment in the lives of your spiritual children. Something Paul modeled for the Corinthians, a very great cost to himself as he went about starting even more churches around the Mediterranean basin, and notice that Paul developed such affection for his closest mentee, Timothy, that, get this, he publicly calls him his beloved and faithful child. Language that Paul eventually repeats in the letters of First and Second Timothy. Church, do we even have a category for this kind of spiritual relationship? 
Can you imagine saying that about anybody you mentor or anybody you're mentored by? And honestly, even if we do have a category for something like this, I fear that it's fading quickly as sexual relationships become the regents of our day while the value we assign to meaningful friendships diminishes, and I think that is tragic. I am convinced that God is calling his people, including City Church, to row in very much the opposite direction. The rowing entails prioritizing spiritual parenthood, mentorships, investments in people, and being invested in. Two questions in light of what we've just been talking about. Number one, are you qualified to be a spiritual father or mother? to invest sacrificially in the lives of spiritual children like Paul invested in the Corinthians and in his mentee, Timothy. The main qualification isn't fame. The main qualification isn't an impressive spiritual skill set. It's not formal seminary education. It's not anything like that. The main qualification is sonship, being a true son or daughter of the Heavenly Father, not just believing in him intellectually, but trusting him and enjoying him and resting in him and obeying him. Spiritual fathers and mothers are themselves sons and daughters, blown away that their heavenly father so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe in that Christ and abide in that Christ and then, I kid you not, you can have the same kind of faith that animated the greatest heroes in the history of the church. And then by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can bless so many spiritual children within your spiritual community, encouraging them, admonishing them, inviting them to imitate you, all for the sake of their growth in Christ and the glory of God. So are we qualified? Are we not only intellectually acknowledging, but enjoying our status as sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father? Or are we frankly kind of languishing in, in spiritual cruise control, embracing Christianity mainly in name only, while being more captivated by the cares and the pleasures of this world? Number two, second quality. Second question, I guess I would say. Are you in the game? So number one, are you qualified, but are you in the game? Those of us who are more mature in the faith, are we mentoring, or might we say discipling, those who are younger in the faith? Are we so captivated by the Father's love and grace that we want nothing more than to show that love and that grace to our spiritual sons and daughters, that they might mature spiritually and eventually become spiritual fathers and mothers themselves. Imagine, for example, being a spiritual grandparent. I doubt there is a sweeter joy on this side of heaven than mentoring somebody who then turns around and mentors somebody else for the glory of God and the good of our church in this world. To be in the game, of course, you need to be on the team. You need to be committed to the life of a local church. But beyond that, Please don't let artificial barriers keep you from engaging. No, you aren't too old or washed up. Yes, you are plenty hip enough. 
yes, you have something to offer in large part because spiritual children, they don't, they don't need all of this pizzazz. They don't need flashy programs and nationally known speakers to come in and pump them up. Here's what they need. Are you ready for this? It's pretty simple. They need believers who have been at it for a while, who have been through some hard things, some real valleys, to come alongside them personally and say, keep going, it's, it's worth it. That is spiritual mentorship. Simply being old doesn't qualify you to be a spiritual parent. And being younger doesn't keep you from it either, especially if you've been a Christian for a while. But I still got to tell you that I do think that age siloing in the body of Christ is one of the great blind spots in the 21st century American church. Of course, it's beneficial to build meaningful relationships with people of our same age and stage. Of course it is. But if you're exclusively building relationships with people of our same age and stage, understand biblically that that is something well short of the kind of spiritual community we see described in Scripture. See, for example, the book of Acts, many of the pastoral letters. We could go on and on. Young people, we, we desperately need to spend time around older people who have been around the block a few times and learned something. And not just standing in the same room with them on a Sunday morning for corporate worship. I'm talking about in their homes. I'm talking about being in their lives. Older people, more experienced people, whatever terminology you want to embrace to live in denial. I am pleading with you as a 37-year-old, invest in the next generation until God puts you in the grave. And that means you have to stick around that next generation, avoiding isolationist tendencies that are accelerating in popularity and honestly advertised up and down the stretch of I-75 from Gainesville to Ocala. I'm not saying you can't move to the villages. I do have some concerns about that that maybe we should address more honestly. I do know a very faithful pastor there, and they're doing very faithful work, and I think God is doing some real things there. But listen, if you do move there, here's what I am saying. How will you continue to invest? How will you connect with younger people that desperately need your wisdom and your warnings because you've already been through it? And back to the younger people again. Please don't game plan your lives in such a way that you're expecting to clock out when you're 65. Game plan your lives so that if you do live to be 65, you'll be investing in others more at that point than ever before. Imagine that. Bring that concept to your financial planners and see what they say. Tell them, I don't want the boat. I want spiritual children and grandchildren. How do I plan for that? First reflection, the qualifications for spiritual parenthood. Second reflection, the power of spiritual parenthood. Chapter 4 is full of zingers. We saw that last week, and Paul closes the chapter with another one here in verses 19 through 21. He says, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, 
and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Big-headed, arrogant people were starting to rise up in the Corinthian church, attracting followers and causing divisions, and as we'll see, introducing some very dubious teaching. Paul, being their spiritual father, therefore determined that he needed to take some corrective and protective action. Yes, he was their spiritual father in the more general sense we just discussed related to spiritual mentorship, but he was also their father in a uniquely authoritative sense given his God-appointed role as an apostle, chapter 1, remember, of Jesus Christ, and also given his role in establishing the church in the first place. God used Paul, see the end of verse 15, to bring the Corinthian believers unto Christ and into the household of God through Paul's faithful ministry in Corinth and his bold proclamation of the gospel. So the bottom line here is that Paul was qualified to not only visit Corinth in due time and continue teaching, he was also qualified to call the Corinthians to repentance, specifically the so-called arrogant people, and even discipline them if the repentance didn't occur. In other words, what's it going to be, Corinthians? Shall I come to you with a rod? In other words, it's a metaphor there for discipline. Or shall I come with love and the spirit of gentleness? So there are spiritual fathers. And then there are, we might say, spiritual fathers. Or to put this another way, there are spiritual mentors. And then there are those who are spiritual mentors while also possessing unique authority in the life of the church to preach and to call people to repentance and to even initiate church discipline, which is a subject we're going to be talking all about next week. We're talking about leaders like, for example, the Apostle Paul and, for example, the elders he commissioned to oversee the churches that he was planting. Not everyone has this kind of authority, but some do have this kind of authority. It's appointed by God and vetted and commissioned by local churches. And therefore, as a spiritual authority within the kingdom of God, verse 20, Paul expects some results. Either there will be more repentance, which in its own right is a miraculous manifestation of God's power, or there will be another kind of power manifestation when Paul returns, a manifestation that will clearly exceed all of the vain nonsense of the arrogant people and put them in their proper place. Paul doesn't specify what this power manifestation might entail, but context clues from everything else we've seen in the letter thus far indicate that this power will involve probably church discipline alongside evidence of God's presence and work, spirit-filled gospel preaching, manifestations of various spiritual gifts, and conversion. The arrogant, those who are stirring up foolish controversies and causing division, they can talk all they want. But the kingdom of God consists of real power. And when that power shows up, let's just say that things start coming to life. And then Paul came. And the visit was actually very painful. Paul talks about this visit in 2 Corinthians, apparently because he encountered some hostility from some of the Corinthians and probably because he did have to enact a certain amount of church discipline. Very painful visit. And then Paul went back to Ephesus 
and wrote them a severe letter in response to his painful visit. And then get this, that letter <coughs> delivered to the Corinthians by Paul's ministry buddy Titus, that severe letter hit spiritual pay dirt, which led to a substantial amount of repentance in the Corinthian church, which reestablished some receptivity to Paul and his spiritual authority and the ministry of the gospel. So when Titus came back to Paul with news of the spiritual reformation, Paul was encouraged and he decided to write the Corinthians a fourth letter, which is contained in our Bibles as the book of 2 Corinthians. He wrote this letter around 56 AD, and then he subsequently returned to Corinth for a third visit where things were going smoothly enough that he had the time and energy to write his very famous letter to the Romans. You tired yet? hearing about all of this, this journeying around and the writing of the letters and the admonishing and all of that. If so, if you are tired, I hope it's a good kind of tired, the encouraging kind, because look what happened. Paul's ministry to the Corinthians as a spiritual father, a ministry filled with so much disappointment and emotional pain that Paul had a hard time finding the words to describe it, that ministry eventually bore fruit. Why? Not because Paul was impressive, he wasn't. In fact, he was criticized by others for not being impressive. It's because Paul, the spiritual father, was an emissary of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God consists not in talk, but in power. Power that gets results. This is such a wonderful word of encouragement for all of us who are part of God's kingdom. Do you see how this is so encouraging? Those of us who are the king's people, on account of embracing the wisdom of God, wisdom that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you've embraced that wisdom, you should be so encouraged by what you're hearing this morning. Because we see that we're on the right side of things. No matter your external circumstances, no matter how things might seem, no matter what people might be saying about you in the wisdom of God, and isn't this a particularly encouraging word for those of us who are spiritual parents, who are in the game? Either in the general sense that we first talked about, or in the more formal sense that Paul parented. Especially since spiritual leadership is so costly. Since spiritual leaders are sacrificially serving those under their care, that they might have life in Jesus' name. You're on the side of real power, not on talk, but of real power. Even when you don't see much happening, even when the haters are hating, and as you know, haters are going to hate. I want to close with this little snippet briefly, a story from my life, very briefly here as we close, because I think it brings some, some threads together, because I know this can be a really painful subject for a lot of us, especially those of us who have experienced really abusive spiritual leadership and just have a hard time with this. I haven't talked very publicly about this little season of my life, but I feel like it's important, so I'll mention it. Growing up, one of my most significant spiritual mentors was my youth group pastor in California. It would probably be my, my dad, my mom, and this guy. He would spend a lot of time with us, not just with the youth group, but with myself and my brother personally. And he would take us places, and we thought he was funny and godly. We were singing, Our God is an 
Awesome God. That's what we were singing in the 90s. And we would do all of that. He was a really gifted worship leader. I can remember the painting on the wall in the room I was sitting in when my parents came and told me a couple years later, hey, I'll try to be as uh, honest but uh, discerning as possible. Hey, this guy, whose name I won't mention right now, it turns out, my parents came and told me this, that he was sexually abusing most of your friends. Did this happen to you? And in God's kindness, it didn't, which is difficult to think about because, well, it's God's kindness to us, but what about those other, you know, it's complicated. It didn't, but obviously, um, I was devastated because the guy that I thought was a spiritual father wasn't a spiritual father at all. He was inviting other people to follow Jesus, but he wasn't, he wasn't following Jesus. In fact, he was causing unbelievable harm to so many people. Harm that radiates today. And so it created in my mind a lot of confusion about the church, whether or not I wanted to be a part of a church anymore. Same thing for my brother and my parents. But let me tell you something. Do you know who the Lord used in my life to kind of bring me back? Real spiritual fathers in the church we ended up in when we moved to Orlando. People like Keith, people like Scott, people like Mark, who invested in my life, who knows why, in the lives of many other middle schoolers and eventually high schoolers for years. I have, a, I have pictures of us, a little group that we used to participate in. Real spiritual fathers who are really following Christ. That's who the Lord used to bring us back, in a sense, into the church and to really enjoy it. So spiritual parenting can go really wrong if you're not following Christ, and many of you have experienced it. But even if that's your story, even if you've heard about that, don't give up on it, because the Lord can still use it very powerfully in your life and the lives of others.